Sarah McKenzie here. This is episode 237, and I have one of my favorite authors here today. Sarah Arthur is the author of a dozen books for teens and adults, including the best-selling Walking with Frodo, a devotional journey through The Lord of the Rings. And after working 25 years with youth, she plays a killer game of Foursquare. (laughs) But she says she refuses to eat cold pizza from a box ever, which is fair, right? She served as preliminary fiction judge for the Christianity Today Book Awards, was a founding board member of the annual C.S. Lewis Festival, and co-directs the Madeline Langle Writing Retreats. She's a mom of sons, a writer, and, of course, today's highly esteemed guest here on the Read Aloud Revival. Sarah, welcome back. You've been here before, I guess, in premium, but I don't think I've ever had you on the podcast yet, have I? It's just a thrill. I'm delighted. Yeah, I got to chat with parents who were reading through some books a few summers ago, but here we are. Here we are. And I fell in love with your writing uh, when I read A Light So Lovely, which is, of course, the book you wrote about the spiritual legacy of Madeline Lingle. So good. I highly recommend. This is on my mama book list to all of you out there. If you're needing something good for yourself to read, I highly recommend it. And if you are a fan of Madeline Lingle, like, you love Wrinkle in Time or Circle of Quiet or her stories of the Austins or anything else by Langle. It's a must read. So it's one of my favorites. Um, then I heard you were writing a young adult fantasy and I was very excited. So how long did it take you? How long have you been working on Once a Queen is the title of the first in the series, right? Yes. Yeah. Once a Queen. Oh, I had the idea for this book. I mean, fiction's my first love. So stories are constantly in my head, even as I'm writing nonfiction. They're the, they're the intrusive thoughts, like in a good way. Okay. Um, that's uh, 20 years ago. I remember eating dinner with my parents and being like, what do you guys think about this idea of like a teenager? She's an American and she meets her British grandmother for the first time. And she can't figure out why her parents have been estranged from this woman. And like, she begins to suspect that the fairy tales she heard growing up are maybe true and that maybe her grandmother was involved in those fairy tales. And, and uh, of course, my parents were like, that's wonderful. You're wonderful. Everything's wonderful. Um, and, you know, let's make a living doing this writing thing. Um, but <laughs> um, and yeah, and, yes, um, but super encouraging. And over the years, you know, I just kind of chipped away at it, you know, in the middle of all the other books and all the other good stuff. It's just always been there. So at long last, at long last, I get to show her to the whole wide world. That's amazing. I had no idea you'd worked for so, or you had, you had lived with her character and her possible story for so long. So it must feel like a, I mean, I'll tell you, so I don't really do blurbs anymore. I just like can't keep up with all I the readings know. that I want to. But when right. your uh, editor reached out or, or your publicist, I can't remember who reached out and asked if I would blurb it. I was like, oh, Sarah Arthur wrote fantasy. Yeah, give up Pass that on over. I'd like to read that, please. When I saw the blurb, I was like, but she doesn't. This is some other Sarah McKenzie. (laughs) I was delighted to. I could not wait to read it. And then I immediately told my team here at Read a Lot Revival, we had this team meeting, and I was like, okay, you all need to go get this book. Oh, wait, you can't get it yet. I have this advanced copy. But okay, as soon as you can get it, you need to go get it. (laughs) January 30th, 2024. Doesn't feel like it's coming soon enough. Yeah, um, yeah. But I figure I've been in this for 20 years with this with this wonderful girl who's my protagonist and her very complicated mother and grandmother. And I figure, you know, a few more months, 
but it is really hard to wait. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> now, how many books will there be in the series? Do you know? Uh, we're starting with three. Okay. And um, yeah, so the first one, Once a Queen, will be followed, um, you know, sometime in the year after that by Once a Castle, followed by Once a Crown. Um, but I also, of course, you know, it, I, my brain works epically. Like okay. Tolkien. So like okay. Tolkien, I'm like, we'll probably never feel like I'm ever done. My poor children, you know, down the road will be like, oh, here's more of mom's notes and manuscripts. <laughs> so much. So I always say my brain works in picture books. So even like I have mm -hmm. written, I've written a middle grade novel that when I went back and read it again, I was like, you know, this would be better if it was just a picture book, actually. Like that's my brain. It's like, so I love like the novel. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that in your mind, you're like, no, I think in epics. I'm like, wow, that is not that my brain doesn't do that. That's fabulous. I love it so it's, much. It's a wonderful, it's sort of a curse. <laughs> well, after I wrote Walking with Frodo, which also came out 20 years ago this fall, which I cannot believe. Uh-huh. Really? Uh -huh. I know. Um, I, I had just finished up, you know, years in youth ministry. I had been an English major, so youth ministry was a really weird thing for me to be doing anyway after college. But it wedded some of my favorite things, which was teenagers and great stories. Mm -hmm. um, and also the fact that Tolkien had been a Christian and incredibly influential in C.S. Lewis's conversion to, to Christianity. Yeah. Um, it was like the perfect wedding of all of those things. And so that book was a pure delight. Um, but I read his letters, Tolkien's letters. And one of my favorite things is when he said, I have many first chapters. And I was like, thank you. That is so affirming. I feel heard and seen now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Where to begin in this epic brain? Well, here's a first chapter. No, and yeah. here's another first chapter. <laughs> That's so great. Here's I another ancillary satellite stories first <laughs> chapter. Um, okay, so in your story, you already hinted at this. We have a girl, an American girl, who starts to think that fairy tales, the fairy tales she's always read and heard and loved, might there might be some truth to it. I'd love mm -hmm. to talk about fairy tales with you. Like, what's the deal with fairy tales? Why do we as humans love them so much? Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a perennial question because it's ubiquitous across most cultures. I mean, they mm -hmm. might have different versions of like a folktale or mythologies, but it's something at the heart of of the human person that um, that has this sort of unfulfilled longing um, to to experience being maybe bigger than they are, or to experience to to be someplace where they're trespassing into the questions that that kind of plague us all, like where are we from and, and why are we here, and and at least in fairy tales. Um, you're in fairyland where you didn't set the rules, but they're very clear and very arbitrary, and you know when you've broken them. And so I think a lot of children just like kind of know that space. Like it's like mm -hmm. they didn't invent the grown-up world we live in where there's all these expectations. And so, you know, they yeah. here is the room you're not allowed to be in, right? Yeah. And so it's like we're intrigued by that room and we want to know why we're not allowed to be in there. So we go in there when no one's looking. And we trespass and we start to hunt. There's a, like, we're just drawn to the mystery of that, that the, uh, the place we're not allowed to be in. Um, unless you're a rule follower, in which case you long for it, but you know better than to go in there. 
Um, but those tales like how about you pointed both, to yourself when you said that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Real follower like me and my oldest child. Oh, you um, are. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And my son is, is obviously my oldest son. Um, he just can't handle stories about people breaking the rules. But a lot of times we are drawn to those stories, right? Because those characters are doing something we wouldn't dare do ourselves. And what I love about some of the fairy tale writers, also people of faith, is that um, the the bedrock of the of those fairy stories is not built on shame or fear. Um, it's joy and hope. And so um, the rules that are set are now not always just rules, right? So think about, um, oh my gosh, I could go everywhere, but you know, uh, let's talk about um, magical realism, like in the secret garden, we could yes. go there. Yeah. And that garden is locked off, but it really shouldn't have been, right? Like we want to honor and celebrate this woman's life, not forget about her. Hide it away. Yeah. Hide it away. So so when you get into the secret garden, she's trespassing, but but there's so much good that comes of that trespassing. So anyway, we, we could go on and on, but yeah. So good. Um, The way you were talking just now, it reminded me of a quote. I could, so one quote, it reminded me of two quotes. The first quote that I thought of was by G.K. Chesterton, where he says that in fairy tales, apples were golden only to refresh the forgotten moment when we found that they were green. Mm-hmm. They make rivers run with wine only to make us remember for one wild moment that they run with water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think of like, so often we think of fiction as escapism, like you escape. I mean, I think that's the bad rap that like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you think of Anne Shirley, the beginning of uh, the movie version of uh, Anne of Green Gables, uh, the Megan oh, uh-huh. version, um, she's being criticized for reading because it's like escaping into instead of taking care of your real life. Yes. There is a yes. there is another quote, and I'm looking to see if I had it here. Um, I don't see it. I thought I did on this um in this one doc, but about how we're not really escaping from. It's more like we're escaping to our lives, yes. like what's true. Yes. And I think that's that thing that Chesterton's saying. You you read a fairy tale and you find out the river runs with wine, and it makes you look at your own river again and go, "Isn't it astonishing? That is astonishing that there is right. a river hey. running with water." Well, yeah, and C.S. Lewis, Lewis talks about such stories re-enchanting the world for us, right? Like, yeah. you know, after you read about the Ents in The Lord of the Rings, you look at a tree differently and you want to be like, hello, are you, are we sleeping? Like, what's, how, how is everything in there? Yes. And I, there's a way that the best fairy, fairy tales send us back to the world with a new love and a new eyes for what we see instead of making us want to run from it. Yes. Um, and that's, that's all over the place with Tolkien too. I don't know. If you guys, if you've done much with um, the Tolkien reader or his essay on fairy stories. No, I, my oldest daughter was just reading that essay for a thesis she's working on for her degree. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, well, one of my friends who has taught a class on Lewis and Tolkien says that Tolkien can take a very simple idea and make it super complex. (laughs) And Lewis, by contrast, yes, Lewis takes a very complex idea and makes it super simple. So it's not for the faint of heart, this essay he writes, but, um, you know, he says these really interesting things about it that like fairy stories were plainly not primarily concerned with possibility, but with desirability. They awaken desire, um, satisfying it while often wetting it unbearably. Um, you know, I think about the Chronicles of Narnia and you, you really want animals to talk, 
right? So you're, you're now kind of enchanted by any animal that you see, and it wakens you this desire to connect with creation differently. But it's kind of an unbearable desire because you can't. You're, like, you're looking at your cat and you're like, please, please just tell me. Tell me what's going on in there. Yes. Yes. And it will never happen in this side of heaven, right? So it's just a really interesting, yes. like joy and longing and desire are so tied together. Yes. Oh, that's just beautiful. Um, that joy and longing, which I think comes through in Once a Queen so powerfully because there, there is your protagonist has this constant, like this thread of longing for truth that's truer than just someone telling her a fact. And I think that's the that's a, something that I feel like your work actually really explores well, which is that, you know, fiction can help us understand truth better oftentimes than fact. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. like convey truth about life in a way that um that feels yeah. Well journalism doesn't quite it doesn't exactly. quite there, just stating all the facts. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge theme for Madeline Langle. I mean, she 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 really believed that um, in things like fiction and in imaginative literature, um, you can get at truth or say truth in ways that um, I'm, I'm kind of this is language I'm using, not that she would use, but slip in the back door of the imagination. While we're not, you know, well, while all of our usual resistance is at the front door of the house of our intellect, Mm -hmm. the back door we left open, not thinking anything would slip in there. You know, a great example would be um, my own husband. When I met him in college at a, we were at a Christian liberal arts school, and he, you know, nineteen year old, wasn't sure he wanted to believe um, the faith that he had been given as a child. Um, and I, you know, I, I love theological debate as you, as you've experienced with me before. Yes. So I was all in, I was like, oh yeah, it was like, this is so let's interesting. And, I'm, yeah. and he's so cute. And this is a really good let's conversation lasts as long as possible. <laughs> um, so at a certain point, it was like, I think that your intellect is just tired. Like you've locked that door and, wow. and it's Okay. And so I think you just need to read the Chronicles of Narnia, which he had never read. And it was while he was reading the silver chair that he had this moment where he was like, oh, I guess I can either be an existentialist, which is a very sad world. You know, what hope is there that anyone can change? Um, The world can be a better place. Or I guess I could believe this stuff even if I'm, I can't see it right now. You know, it's. Puddle glum stamping on the fire and be like, we're going to go look for Narnia, even if it doesn't exist. And he just like, that was it. Like he, you know, he's now the pastor of a multi-campus church here in Lansing, Michigan. Amazing. And this is how story can work. You know, I think about Jesus telling parables or yes. many other um, cultures where the stories deliver the they show us the good life. They're they're the ones that deliver unforgettably the vision of of what is good and beautiful and true. Well, pretty much every time someone asked Jesus a question, he responded with a story. He never I mean, he never responded with a lecture. It was it was story uh, after yeah. story after story. Yeah. Um, I found the Lewis quote too. By putting bread, gold, horse, apple, or the very roads into a myth, we do not retreat from reality. 
we rediscover it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who was that? That was Lewis. That was Lewis. Yeah. I yeah. didn't make a note. I, I knew I have, I have this document where I keep all these yeah. fabulous quotes about why we read and I didn't I didn't write down where that came from but maybe we can find it yeah I well I I pulled out before um we got on the the podcast today I pulled out both Tolkien's it's I have it in the Tolkien reader his his essay on fairy stories where he takes very simple ideas and makes them more complicated (laughs) (laughs) Lewis by contrast in um there's a collection of essays called on stories and other essays yes and and this is where you know we hear him like one of the essays is called Sometimes Fairy Stories May Say Best What's to Be Said. Um, it's something about the the form of the fairy tale as this really pithy, concise, really clear plot, really clear good and evil that delivers mm-hmm. the, the truth that you're wanting to express better than a lot of other forms. Um, so he's got that essay in there. And he's also like on writing for children um, on three ways of writing for children is in here. Um, it all began with a picture. I mean, there's just a lot. Which, which collection is that? It's called On Stories and Other Essays. Yes. It's really interesting. Um, you know, he speaks about desire in that essay. You know, that's where truth being something that we're longing for, um, but not just truth. You know, we're not just longing for facts. We're longing for beauty and for goodness, which are all qualities at the heart of the, di- you know, the divine. So yes. the other thing that I find interesting about all the authors that we're talking about is they didn't think fairy tales were just for children. Yes. Um, looking back hundreds of years ago, Grimm's fairy tales were not, in fact, for children. They were told by entire communities. And some of them, if you read them now, you're like, that is so not appropriate for my five-year-old. <laughs> and so... So uh, Tolkien talks quite a lot about that in his essay too. It's like, what, why, why have we relegated that just to children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, of course, that famous Lewis quote where he says a children's story, which is only enjoyed by children, is a bad children's story. Madeline, Madeline says some similar things as well. It's so interesting because I find like my twins right now, are they're our youngest and they're 10 and they're very sensitive. Um, um. I always think that's not quite the right word, but that's the closest word I can come up with. They are like um, just I, I'm careful about the stories that they read because they're not able. There's this beautiful part of um, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom where mm. um, she talks about how she had asked her father like a grown up question. And he instead of answering her, do you know what this is? He, he asked her to pick up as a young girl, he'd be like, okay, pick up this suitcase. And it was full yes. of like heavy watch parts, I think, or something. I and love she, uh, that analogy. I use it all yes. the time. She can't pick it up. And she said, I can't, it's too heavy. And he said, the same is true with knowledge. I would be a poor father if I asked you to carry all of the knowledge. Like some of it, I, you need to wait until you're older and stronger enough to bear it. So I think of that a lot with my twins because there's a lot of stories that I'm like, they're not ready yet to bear this. I don't know why that's different than it was for their older brother or for their sister who's about the same age. But fairy tales are different. There's a different, they can handle a lot more like scary fear in a fairy tale than in another kind of a book. And so I think that's partly too why they can transcend ages so much. Cause like it's, we're adults, we're still really, interested in fairy tales. Yeah. Well, and maybe some of that, I'm just extrapolating here from what you just said, because I have two very different children and one of them is, is similar, but like he can just like absorb fairy tales, no problem. 
Um, and I wonder if some of it is the narrator voice to a fairy tale is oh. like that protective grown up who's there making sure you're going to be okay. It's kind of a more omniscient voice, which is one of the reasons why I'm not sure fairy tales always translate to film very well unless you have a narrator. Whereas in, for example, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, you know, Lucy and Susan watch what happens to Aslan, but Lewis shields you from it. Yes. He's not going to let you see the moment when the knife comes all the way down. Whereas in the movie, you don't, the watchers of it are, we're not shielded from that moment. And so I wonder if the narrator serves to give us a little distance and a little sense of being protected by a safe grown up. Wow. Um, it's, I, I'm, I'll have to think more about that. Me too. That's so interesting. I had never thought of that. But you're right. When you're reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you see it from a distance. It's like it's a way to experience it without having to stare it right in the face. Yeah, I think in our in our culture, in our time, you know, it's been true probably in modernity in general that we, uh, uh, you know, value facts, empirical data, evidence, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> above imagination and the creative forms. But I really want to make a case for imaginative stories. I feel like most of our listeners are, you know, reading aloud and they're reading aloud all kinds of books with their kids. There's this tendency, I think, for the world to keep telling us that like there are some books that are more valuable than others. And they're probably, it's probably not Grimm's fairy tales that they're telling you about that about. Despite their enduring presence. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I sort of want to make a case for the importance of these fairy tales and fairy tale like stories that help mm. us see the world with new eyes the way Lewis and Tolkien and Langle talk about fiction letting you I mean if we think about what our most important charges to love the Lord our God and to love others right and to so we help our children love God and love others and you said something earlier that echoed that whole idea from Lewis about how we rediscover we are able to see the world with new eyes after we've read a book yeah. together reenchanted Yes, re-enchanted. I love that word so much. And it feels to me like, wow, isn't this something we can do every time we break open a story with our kids? We help our kids become more re-enchanted with this world and the people that God filled it with. Absolutely. Some of what um, we experience in a fairy tale or in fiction is instead of uh, pers- being prescribed what we are supposed to know or accept, or accept we are being invited. And I feel like that's a very different experience yes. for all of us. Yes. I mean, it, it allows us some agency to step into the space at our own pace and the way we want and to experience things um, without being prescribed how we're supposed to experience them or what we're supposed to feel about them. Yes. I mean, I could talk, as I've been in youth ministry for so, so long, and I could talk till I'm blue in the face about, you know, I could tell a kid, yeah, like, God created you and you're special and and God has a story and a plan for your life. Or, you know, we could read The Silver Chair um, where Jill comes into Aslan's country and she's like, you know, why are we here? And realizes like, oh, we were calling your name. Are you the one whose name we were calling? And Aslan says, I would, you would not have been calling to me unless I had been calling to you. So what am I going to begin with in my, you know, junior high Sunday school class? Am I going to begin with like doctrine to get that across? 
mm-hmm. or am I going to begin with the silver chair? Okay, so now we've done all the things, but we yeah. began from a very different place that's yes. like a parable. Yes, which I think is a, a big problem I see with a lot of stories that seek to preach or seek to like, we see this a lot in picture books, but I actually think we could see it a lot in um, in other you know, in novels as well. And young adult as a genre with its concern for issues. Yes. We can often, yeah, be hit over the head with. And that's the opposite of an invitation. I think that's the key word that you use there is a story is an invitation. I'm even just thinking like, and this is not even, obviously this is not a fairy tale. I'm thinking about Little Women because I just saw my son. Oh my goodness. So cute. I went and visited my 18 year old son who's a freshman in university this last weekend. And he took me, he's like, mom, I'd really like to take you to Little Women tonight at the Yes, please. I mean, hello. I think your work as a parent is done. Like you, you can just retire now. <laughs> I had to call my husband. I'm like, he took me to Little Women and he wanted to talk about it after. So sweet. But he, one of the things I was thinking about is that when I read Little Women for the first time as a young woman, I definitely was reading from Joe's perspective. Like that was definitely where I was, right? Yeah. And that's still true to some degree, obviously. I think that's true because she's the really the main character, the protagonist. Like, yeah. But also I didn't relate with Marmy on any level when I was 20. But now at 42, I'm like, I, I need a little more Marmy here. Like, you know, like like you're mm-hmm. so you, mm-hmm. you come to it because you're a different person every time you read it, which is why Little Red Riding Hood, when I was a a young girl, I would I read it differently than I read it now. Because we're different people. We have different experiences. And our kids, mm-hmm. that's true too. If they read it when they're eight and then they read it when they're 10, they're a different person now. Well, and that's like the perennial beauty of a lot of these stories is that they, they don't lose their luster. We, they just, they come to us in different ways as we age and we experience them differently. And again, it's that invitation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, we were, if it was just a prescription, like here's the meds you have to take, it would just be medication. Like we would just take it in and it'd be the same when I was 10 as I'm when I'm yes. 20 unless I've built up some kind of weird immunity to it but which can actually happen with facts but right when it comes to an invitation like you're just kind of oh yes like that's the warmth and the the human of being a person with our own desires and interests and, and loves and you might connect with one character in a story you know and a friend is going to connect with a different one but then when you get together 20 years later, be like, have you read Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice lately? <laughs> you know, <laughs> might have a different, a different yes. character. C.S. Lewis, by the way, read that book every year. I did not know that, really? Yeah. Well, you can see it in the way he does dialogue because she is so strong in dialogue in that book. Oh, how interesting. I'm going to have to yeah. look for that. That's so yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if you have a favorite whimsical or quirky character from fantasy literature? Like someone that you're like, oh, this is a character who might not be like the hero, but is kind of quirky or whimsical or surprising in some way that you really love? Oh, I saw this question when you sent it to me and I've been thinking ever since because it's really hard to narrow it down. I know, sorry. I have so many, but I, out of out of love for my husband and sons, I'm going to choose Reapa Cheap. From uh, the voyage okay. of the downtrotter, <laughs> because yep. he's so marvelous. Um, I just love that mouse ridiculously. I have I've designed that mouse as like Christmas ornaments. I've drawn him. <laughs> I'm like, um, 
just just to put the word valiant and mouse together um <laughs> and and then to see that sort of reiterated in things like the tale of despero yeah i'm just, just gonna say that that's funny yeah 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 um and i hate mice in real life they freak me out but if I, you know like in in a story they're fine mm-hmm. i even have this cute little decal that i found online of um, it's like a sticker I put on way down at the base of my baseboard, it's like a little hole. It looks like a mouse hole with a mouse in it reading by candlelight. The best. I'll tell you, I have, um, let me see if I have them right here. I think I do. My oldest daughter, no, my second oldest daughter is an art student now at university, but she, when she was in high school, she even made me, I'll hold these up. You, they won't be able to see these on the podcast, but you can see them. The, all these little different mice oh! in outfits and yes! different like, um, like different oh forms. That is because I love storybook mice so much, and she thought this would help yes. me brainstorm story. Oh my goodness, that so is fun. just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Rip Cheap. So he doesn't just play like he's not just like comic relief or just like a clever invention of Lewis's mind. He plays a really important role with Eustace in Eustace's conversion, if you will, um, from being just a really miserable human being to actually, you know, being able to practice empathy. And some of that is because Ripacheep, um, as Eustace was not feeling well at one point, is just telling him stories. Like he tells him stories. Mm-hmm. And of course, Eustace had only ever read books of information. So he doesn't know any of these tales. And that's, but that is how we, that's how we experience the virtues as like living things, not just as these like sort of disconnected ideals yeah right we see them embodied yes in, re- in various character forms that are really hard to forget that really rings true with one of my favorites which i was thinking about this and i was like you know who i really love as a quirky character is Wervel from jennifer trafton's middle grade fantasy the rise and fall of mount majestic I don't know if you have you ever read this. I need to read this book. It sounds marvelous. You do. You totally need to read this book. It is yes. fabulous. It's a fabulous read aloud. This is um. So Wervel's a warrior, and I pulled out one of the best quotes. I had to go look it up again because it's been a, little, a few years since I read this with my kids. But Wervel hates. He worries about everything, and he hates the word might. And this is what he says: Of all the words that have ever been invented, that is the worst. All of the terror in the world hangs on the word might. The leaf eaters might kidnap me and keep me locked up underground forever. They might tie me to a tree and leave me to be eaten by poison-tongued jumping tortoises. A hurricane might flood the willow woods and both of us drown. Well, said Persimone, there certainly isn't much chance of that happening. The sun is shining and there isn't a cloud in the sky. But it might. (laughs) Anything might happen. Right. You might find your house again and live happily ever after. But I might not. Persimone stared at Wervel and discovered that she liked him. He was a coward, certainly. But he had imagination, and she liked people with imagination. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? Oh, a learning of those of us with very creative anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Imagine all the worst case scenarios. That <laughs> ability being a good thing. I've never really thought about that, but sure. Yeah. 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 There we go. That it's worry. When I think of worry, like I think of Wervel embodied as anxiety or embodied as like that tendency that some of us have. Some of us have more than others. I think of like naming all my husband's like this kind of can like instantly think of all the things that could go wrong with something. And there's somebody like me who like 
has a complete blind spot for all the things that could go wrong. So we need a little bit Orville in us, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I will, I will be looking up that book for sure. Yes. Yeah, it's a fun one. One of the things that I really want to emphasize this year on the podcast, and we've talked about this some before, but really this year I want to I want to put a lot of attention on it, is that especially for world-weary mamas, we have so much on our plates. We carry so much of responsibility with our children and our families and our homes and our lives, our careers. Reading is a way to be nurtured. I think oftentimes we will set goals, like I want to read this many books this year, and there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we inadvertently make reading another thing we should be doing, and we feel like we let it feel guilty, like, oh, I want to nurture my reading life, but I'm struggling with it. And I wonder about this invitation to be nurtured by our reading life instead of feeling like it's another thing to tend because we do a lot of nurturing. So yeah, yeah, it feels to me like our reading life could nurture us, nourish and replenish us in a different way than most other parts of our life can. It's similar to how we were speaking about story um, in the sense that like, you know, it can deliver truth in different ways than just pure facts or journalism can. I mean, those, again, it's like, is reading going to be just medicine that you have to take? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be an invitation? Mm -hmm. um, I think about uh, right here on my shelf is this little miniature, um, like, room. Um, and I started to see these online where there were these little rooms that had miniatures in them with fairy lights. And you put it on your bookshelf and it just sits there. And it's like this little world. And I was so enchanted by that um, and so broke and couldn't get one <laughs> that I one thing when I, I pulled out a box of my old dollhouse furniture and, a, and then found a cardboard box the right size. And I, I fashioned the box into a, a room and it's my own little writing studio and it's got a fireplace in it and books, you know, aligning the fireplace. And it's got a desk and a little mug with the last name Arthur on it that my father-in-law gave me years ago because he knows I like miniatures. And I fitted it all out with fairy lights and, and wallpaper and rugs. And it's so darling. To me, it's like, this is my reminder, right? This is the invitation. This is what books are for. Mm. They're inviting us in. Mm -hmm. um, this would be a very different feeling to my bookshelf if I had all these wonderful books and just bottles of medicine. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. You know, this is a world where I'd be invited into um that is is here for us and it's really here whenever we need it right books don't go away they're always here and they're not just comforting um but they also have they enrich us by also challenging us um i don't want to just say that that's valuable but it's a kind of beauty that we don't get in any other way there's truth out there there's goodness out there but there's also beauty yeah yeah that's for its own sake right for its own sake. Yeah. yeah. And it can come in different forms. I mean, how many of us have zillions of chores? I have so many chores. Yeah. <laughs> and those are when I get out Hoopla or my Libby app and I put my earbuds in and I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Um, like, take me away while I do this. Yeah, yeah. 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 And all of a sudden that chore is done. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Let me find another chore because my I want to. Yeah. Sleep. When I'm like, what else can I do? And I'm like, oh, there's yeah. always something else to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always something else. And one other thing I think about is that this was a challenge for us as when we when our kids were really little. Um, Tom and I, we were 13 years before we had kids, so we had built in habits of prayer mm -hmm. together in the evenings, and it was usually from the Book of Common Prayer or some other kind of 
um, structure so that we, by the end of the day, we weren't inventing things from scratch that we yeah. didn't have the energy to invent. And, um, and you know, when you have little kids, there's no way, like you're not going to be doing <laughs> collect for the day yeah. and like Compline <laughs> and like, no. And we had to realize that sitting down and reading their children's Bible with them was in fact evening prayer. It was still mm-hmm. for us, yeah. still nurturing us. So reading stories with our children is still us reading stories. Yeah. It's still for us. So that reminds me of um, Sally Lloyd-Jones's Jesus Storybook Bible, which we, a lot of us know and I have for my, my younger kids. But she also has a collection called The Story of God's Love for You. And it's really just basically the Jesus Storybook Bible without the illustrations. The audiobook version is beautifully narrated. And what mm-hmm. surprises me about yeah. it is if you compare it to the text of Jesus Storybook Bible, it's almost identical. And right? yet yeah. it feels, yeah. yeah, it feels, does not feel like it's for children. It's for you, you know? Yes, it's for you. Madeline Langle often talked about how she's like, I'm, I'm still all the ages I've ever been. That 12-year-old is still in us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 20-year-old the is still in us. Like we, we still respond to those things. We can anyway with the openness of a child. And that childlikeness is not a weakness. It's yeah. not something we grow out of. Yeah. What are some books that you feel have nurtured you or been like that, like beauty for its own sake, or just feel like life giving mm-hmm. to you over the years? Oh my goodness. What so question. many. I know. So many. Um, well, one one of my fun jobs that you mentioned with my bio was um I'm the the preliminary fiction judge for the Christianity Today Book Awards. And so I get just tons of books come across my path every year and I sift through them and figure out which ones I'm going to pass on to the final judges. I get to only pick four, Mm -hmm. um, which some years I, you know, are easier than others. But, you know, as in my role as preliminary fiction judge for the Christianity Today Book Awards, I come across so many books in a year and I sift through them and I have to um, kind of figure out which ones are going to be passed along to the four final judges and um, four books to four final judges. Okay. And um, I've been lately enchanted by stories of with really strong women protagonists who have made a really unlikely choice. So this this year, one of the books I read was Claire Gilbert's I, Julian, which I is about Julian of Norwich. Julian of Norwich, is, she was a 13th century anchorite who, so she had, she would, she had become, it's kind of like a, a nun, but she becomes connected to a specific church and, um, and works strictly out of that community, but is literally like bricked up inside her own little living space attached to the church. People come to her for advice. But before that, I didn't know that she was married and she lost her husband and precious, wonderful daughter in one of the many plagues. I didn't know that. Um, it is heart shattering and beautiful. Um, just an absolutely enchanting story and really hard. It's written from her perspective. Yeah. It's written like an auto, like a fictional autobiography is how it's described. It helps to be familiar though with her revelations of divine love, Okay, which was super controversial at the time. And you learn more about that through the book. Um, but I just find, I just find women who have gone through tremendous loss and have sort of moved into a different kind of way of being often tied to faith. Yeah. Um, has really been amazing to me. And I have so many author friends who are incredible. I mentioned 
to you earlier, my friend Sophronia Scott wrote a book called Wild, Beautiful, and Free. Yeah. Um, which is about uh, an enslaved woman who um, who is able to escape from slavery during uh, right at the beginning of the Civil War. And she'll talk about how she really wanted to not use the usual trope of the enslaved person escaping and having to run through the woods and dogs and all of that. It's just a super clever way that this young woman escapes. And it's very empowering and gives her a lot of agency. Hmm. Um, Sophronia's writing is just beautiful. We co-direct the Madeline Langle um, writing retreats together. Oh, excellent. Okay. We're going to put both of these books in the um, show notes. And as we're talking yeah. here, I'm sending iJulian to Courtney, who's our community manager here at Read a Lot of My Fault, because this is right up her alley. She's going yes. to. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Here's a fun question for you. If you could step into the world of any fairy tale for the day, one day, <laughs> Which one would you choose and why? Oh, my goodness. Part of me, I wish I could say The Lord of the Rings, but I feel like it'd be very lonely. There aren't a lot of women. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> figure prominently. I mean, there's a giant spider. There's an elf queen. I mean, I, <laughs> well, um, I feel like I could, like, traverse that world and enjoy it a lot. But, okay. Um, oh, my gosh. Um. Well, this is magical realism, but I would love to go to the house of a secret garden. Oh, okay. It's just this barren moor landscape. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like it's probably grimmer than we know it to be. Ooh, okay. Which is what makes the blooming of that garden so much more sort of magical. I want to wander that house. I want to find Colin's secret passageway. You know, it's yeah. just all the things, all the things. Yeah. Really any big house like that. The Rich Lays of Tantamount by Barbara Willard. Say it again, sorry. Um, the Rich what? The Rich Lays of Tantamount by Barbara Willard is another like big house with lots of secrets. Okay. Like a coastal castle story. Okay. That's an Elizabeth Googe. The Little White Horse. Oh, yes. Okay. Any of those. Yeah. yeah somebody yeah. arrives at a house at night and then they wake up the next day and they explore everything. That's my How interesting story. because now we should talk about Once a Queen because, boy, this sounds very right? similar. <laughs> There's a little something going on here, Sarah. She doesn't arrive at night, but at the very beginning, she arrives at Caracol. And she does wander at night a bit. She does. She yes. wanders. Yes. I, actually, that's what I want to talk about next. So because when this podcast airs... uh. Once a Queen will be releasing in just a couple of weeks, so you can pre-order the book now. Um, let me read the back, the the flap, the publisher's flap for this, so everyone can understand the kind of book this is. It's a young adult fantasy, perfect for older kids and teens. I loved it, loved it so much. Here's here's our um, back cover copy. When 14-year-old American Eva Joyce unexpectedly finds herself spending the summer at the mysterious manor house of the English grandmother she's never met. She soon discovers that her family, the manor staff, and even the house itself are hiding secrets. With odd things happening in the gardens at night, Eva embarks on a search for answers. Astonishingly, she learns that the Hull's staff believe portals to other worlds exist, though hidden and steadily disappearing, and that Eva's grandmother was once a queen in one of those worlds. But her grandmother's heart is closed to the beauty and pain of the past. Now it's up to Eva to discover what really happened and to decide if it's possible that her favorite childhood fairy tales are true. As she starts unraveling the dangerous secrets around 
the grandmother who is more than she appears, Eva begins to wonder if she too is more than she understood herself to be. That just wow. I mean, I read this book, kind of gobbled it up. I devoured it and immediately started recommending it to all of like my favorite Lewis and Langle um, people. Like it just rung so true. Um, and also, if you're listening to this and you don't have older kids and teens, this would be a fab. I mean, I'm telling you, I stayed up late reading this book. So read it yourself. <laughs> you'll love it. Well, and we're building our launch team here in Lansing, Michigan with local teens. And I have like 12 and 13 year olds. I mean, it, it really does fit because Eva is 14. She fits that liminal space where you've begun to turn your face toward adulthood, but you're not there yet. You're still clinging to some of those things from childhood. And fairy tales for her is one of those. She's worried that she's going to have to give up fairy tales forever if she grows older. Um, and and that shouldn't be the case. We should be able to enjoy them and read them all the way through. Um, yeah. Till we're 90. I hope somebody is uh, reading to me from The Secret Garden or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when I'm in hospice care someday. Because, you know, yeah, I would that would that would be like my dream. That and like, you know, um, some of my favorite Bible stories. Like, that's it. That's what we that's what, <laughs> that's, right. that's what we have. We have the stories. That's what we have. Yeah. What was the most surprising thing? Because this story you said lived inside you for decades. So what was the most surprising thing about writing it? Oh, well, it, just how hard it is. I mean, I've written 12 nonfiction books, um, starting with Walking with Frodo, you know, 20 years ago. And and that voice, that sort of that strong um, kind of essay voice mm -hmm. or like that, that's just a really good voice for me. Uh, and so I, I really was battling sort of like poser syndrome while oh. I was writing fiction um, because I just I feel like I want it to be a genius work. I don't think it's a genius work. I think it is a work that makes us think. And that's, you know, it's not like I'm not going to be hyper original, but I am going to put us in a space where it feels somewhat familiar, but maybe pushes us a little bit into yeah. thinking differently about some things. Um, and, and it's those intergenerational relationships mm -hmm. as I was probing Eva's relationships with her mother and her grandmother and their estrangement. Um, the father actually was in the book originally. Oh, really? Yeah. Like he shows up a couple of times in the original story, like in the original drafts, but I began to realize it wasn't as much about like he, yeah. he was a supporting character and very encouraging and wonderful, like my own dad and my own husband. But but it wasn't his story. Like it really needed to center on these women. Yeah. And that kind of came as a surprise. Like yeah. how complex their relationship felt and how difficult it was to render that in ways that were loving and like didn't make you want to hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. Because, and, that, and it feels like that rings true too because our- Especially the grandmother. Yes. There's this yes. real yes. damage. And so like how do you, how do you not hate her? Yeah. How is yeah. she not Cruella DeVille by like the 10th chapter? Well, you do it. I can tell you, you do it, but it does feel complex. It feels like, you know, it doesn't feel simplistic at all, which also rings true because our relationships with our mothers and grandmothers and our feminine relationships mm -hmm. are really complex. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Well, I wanted to push back on some of the classic fairy tales that don't render women with as much complexity or with the kind of complexity they deserve. I mean, again, it's like Tolkien with like no women in his books. Yeah. And occasionally, you know, C.S. Lewis even will treat them very lightly, like like their sort of decisions of ultimate importance are kind of dismissed. 
Yeah. So Susan, um, anyone? I, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Like I, I would love, you know, Jadis's origin story. Like why did she get into this terrible relationship yeah. with her sister? You know what? But, um, you know, I don't blame him for that. It's like fairy tales can only do so much, mm-hmm. but part of me writing this story is, you know, I am, I am a woman. And so I have relationships that, that aren't always expressed in other fairy tales. So let's go there. Let's tease and probe and if you push this thing, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's behind that door? If we, yeah. Yeah. What's behind this door down that hallway? Well, I hope everybody pre-orders a copy. Hey, actually, because this episode is airing before the book comes out, I think you have some pre-order bonuses for people who order before oh, the release date. so fun. I am so excited. Yes. So um, if you go to my website and you click on the Once a Queen, queen in the drop-down menu, it sends you to my publisher's landing page for the book. And they are offering um, the first three chapters as a download when you when you pre-order. Um, and we put together what we're calling the Once a Queen Journal. It's like a downloadable, printable um, creativity journal that's got quotes from the book, but also creativity prompts as you think about your own you know, stuff that you want to invent. Yeah. And some of my original sketches. So cool. Years of like characters and places that have inspired my thinking about the book. So I'm going to be doing a virtual book launch on January 30th, the, the night the book comes out. And so we can get our journals, if we've printed them, we can get them out and like assemble them. And oh, fun. One of the creativity prompts yes. and my team, launch team from Lansing, some of them will be there to help host that. So fun. Well, we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. We'll put a link to where you can pre-order the book and to where you can get that journal and the the chapters early so you can get a head start on them. I would I would recommend this book for anybody who just wants a good story. Anyone who wants to remind themselves as to why they love reading. It's the kind of book that will nurture you. And especially if you have kids, you know, I'd say 12 and up especially are going to be like really resonating with it. So highly recommended. Sarah, Arthur, I love, love, love chatting with you. Every time I talk to you, I think, okay, well, how can I get her back next week? This happened last time too. How can we keep this going? It is such a joy. It's so amazing to find a community that is nurturing the imagination of young people and families. And that is my heart. That's my ministry. So Mm -hmm. it's a joy to be with you all. Thank you so much. Now let's go hear what the kids are reading and loving most these days. My name is Faye Lentz, and I am six years old. I'm from Texas, and I like Harry Potter because I like how they're very brave and they know it's all about friendship. My name's Ollie, and, I, and I'm four, and, and my favorite book is Harry Potter because they're black. Hello, my name is Avery. I I live in Fort Stewart, Georgia. I'm five. My favorite book is Zoe and Sassafras. And the part I like about it mostly is it's all about science. Hi, my name is Jonathan. Where do you live? I'm Fort Stewart, Georgia. And how old are you? Three. I like Mercy Watson driving the purple. Hi, my name is Anna, and 
I'm four, and I love my little George. My name is Anna, and my favorite book is Hiding the Fox because Heidi was very brave as she ran away to the nearby tree, and that's why I like it because she was very, very brave. That's right. Yeah, Heidi. My name is Joseph. My name is Kieran. I got a dashboard for Christmas. <laughs> and what's your favorite book? I'm Cuddly and Cockadoodle Hullabaloo. The Cockadoodle Doo Barnyard Hullabaloo. Yeah, and Corduroy. And Corduroy. Why do you like those books? Because they are good. Because they are good. Hi, my name is Jameson, and I'm from Canterbury, New Hampshire, and I'm 10 years old, and my favorite book series is The Wild Robot, because it's exciting and funny, and I can't wait for the next book to come out, and it's coming out in September. Bye! I'm Millie from Nebraska. I'm 11 and a half years old. I like the book The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Jester. And one of my favorite parts is when they're describing the demons of compromise because one is tall and skinny, one is short and fat, and the other is just like the other two. I'm William from Nebraska. I am nine years old and I recommend the book because of Win Dixie. It's about a dog find the owner and when the owner talks to the dog, it feels like the dog actually listening. Hey, my name is Leaf and um, I'm six years old and I'm from New Hampshire and my my favorite book, but it's actually a book series, is The Chronicles of Narnia and I like that series because that it comes with movies. Bye. Thank you so much, kids. Okay, wasn't that a great conversation with Sarah Arthur? I knew I had to have her on the show. I'm telling you, I drank that book right up and immediately started recommending it to people I knew would love it. Show notes for this episode are at readaloudrevival.com slash 237, because this is episode 237. You can find the book there, all the goodies we talked about, all the books and stories that we mentioned, and there were quite a few. Those will all be in the show notes as well. Kids, thanks again for your messages. I love hearing what you're reading and loving lately. And uh, let's see, I guess I'll just be back here in two weeks. But for now, you know what to do. Go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books.